Let's get into the word. We're going to be in John 12 this morning, John 12, 16. And Jesus has returned to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. They have tried to convince Jesus not to come to Jerusalem. They have told him, the powers that be are after you. Don't come. So what does Jesus do? The will of his father. Because he's about his father's business. He does what the father wants. So he comes over the Mount of Olives, as we talked about uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago. And this is a great picture of the Mount of Olives where, where you're going over the Mount of Olives, coming down, and you would go down into the Valley of Kidron, and then you would go back up to the Temple Mount area. Now that is how it looks today. And everybody goes, oh, that's a beautiful golden dome, which I can understand it is, but that is not uh, uh, from the Jews at all. That's a Muslim uh, place of worship up there on top of the Temple Mount today. What it looked like back then is something to this effect. Now, one of the things that I haven't mentioned, and this picture, is a, it's a pretty good representation, but many believe in, in of the writings and stuff that the outside of the actual temple was actually gilded in gold. So you can imagine why the, the Roman government wanted to tear it down piece by piece and why it was destroyed rock by rock because they set a fire in there and melted everything on the inside and outside and all the, the gold and stuff is running down through the rock. So how do you get to the gold? You knock the building down, right? And then you knock the walls around it down, okay? So then a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how the, the lampstands would light up at night during, uh, during the Feast of the Tabernacle and, and <coughs> different things like that. Well, that, the, the, these are huge golden um, bowls that, that uh, leaders and leaders of oil would go into that's way up in the air. And literally, they had these special ladders that would, would get the priest all the way up there. And it was a special honor to go up there, but also kind of a, a you know, you're kind of looking down going, oh, man, you know. These are like 45 feet up in the air, these, these lampstands that we were talking about a couple of weeks ago. And, and, the, <coughs> and that light would shine off the building, and everything on the Temple Mount would, would, would just glow like you wouldn't believe, okay. So you can imagine how this looked, at, uh, looked like during this time and so forth. But the buzz this year is about a guy named Jesus of Nazareth. The Sanhedrin doesn't, <coughs> sorry, doesn't like him, and they put out a warrant. And the day before, he had come into town on a colt of a donkey. And those who know the, know the scripture understood that, uh, that the Messiah would do just that. In fact, in Zechariah 9.9, <coughs> it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. So this excitement is building within, the, uh, within Jerusalem, and, and Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. So the others are coming in town trying to, they, they want to know uh, Lazarus, and they want to know the story, so they want to get it from the source. <coughs> I mean, if this happened today, we would be curious, wouldn't we? I mean, if this happened in Tulare, we'd be calling friends up going, okay, what's going on? Hey, did, were you around? We would all be curious, and that is what's going on. He had been dead for four days, and everybody knew it. Jesus had just spoken the words, Lazarus, come forth. And the next thing you know, he gets up out of the tomb and starts hobbling out 
because he would have been fully wrapped. Think of mummy, okay? They literally would wrap them that way. So he would be like hopping out, okay? You could imagine the scene. So with all this going on, Jesus enters into Jerusalem, and John is very clear. The disciples, everybody, Jesus' friends did not realize how things would end for him. And they <coughs> and then began again with Christ's resurrection. They did not understand that. We we get hindsight as 2020. Centuries later, there, there's buildings and statues and churches named after all these disciples. But John would tell you, man, Jesus told us, and we didn't have one bit of a clue. We didn't understand it at all. And sometimes I totally get this feeling and understand this feeling. God has told me a lot of things over the years, and some of them I get, and some of them I don't get. Some I don't understand until I go through something, and then I look back and I go, that's what God was trying to say. That's what God was trying to teach me. Some I still don't understand, but I follow because he has proven himself trustworthy to me, and that's why we follow. Verse 16, it says, at first his, <coughs> his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him, these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called uh, Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed the sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said, one, said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. L look how the whole world has gone after him. So you can see the, the Pharisees are doing, <coughs> doing exactly what we do when we have a controlling personality. They're starting to freak out, right? You ever had a boss that was a controlling personality? How about you? Do you have a controlling personality? Anything that gets out of whack, anything that starts to squeak and it kind of starts this kind of panic? Clearly the whole world is not going after Jesus, right? I mean, a couple of days from now, they're going to be screaming, you know, for his head, saying crucify him. So clearly the whole world has not gone after him, but for the Sanhedrin, it sure seemed like it. So if you ever feel like you've gotten a situation where you've panicked because you feel like stuff is out of control, you might ask yourself the question, am I being too controlling here? Could it be things that are outside of your control because the Lord is the one who is in charge? Have you ever thought about that? We think we're so, so far in charge, don't we? Especially our everyday, day to life, you know, our decisions and everything. And the Lord <coughs> gives us latitude to make decisions and to feel like we're in charge. But ultimately, he's in charge. If the Pharisees could have just relaxed on this thing, they could have seen the handprint of God. Yet they were blinded, blinded by Satan, blinded by the world, blinded by their own desires. So the Pharisees are one group, and then you have the people who are another group, the people following after Jesus, and they're expecting Jesus to, <coughs> to show that he was the Messiah by taking control of Jerusalem. But he comes in on a donkey. Now, why is that important? Well, we think, oh, well, he's just trying to show peace. Well, that's true. But any time a, a king would come into another country's area, okay? 
another country's kingdom. You know, it would be like us going to China. Anytime, you know, what would happen is you would come in, and if you're, you know, coming in to destroy and to, to war and to conquer, you would come in on a war horse, right? The way to show that you weren't coming in to conquer, if you were a king, you would get on a donkey, a fowl of a donkey, something really small, something goofy. And you would ride in and you were signifying, hey man, I'm just coming in peace. We're just coming to talk. You know, all those things countries do. That's what we're doing. And this is what Jesus did. He came in and saying, I'm just bringing peace. That's all I'm bringing. So you have the Pharisees, <coughs> you have the crowds, and then you have the disciples. And you have to give them a lot of credit. They understood the tension that they were under, and yet they went back to Jerusalem with Jesus. Have you ever followed Jesus through a tough situation where you say, Lord, I'll go, but I don't know. This is tough. I know it's tough. I don't want to, but I'll do it. This is what Thomas said when he said, let's go down to Jerusalem. And he said, let's go down there and die. He was saying, oh man, this is going to be tough. And we kind of laugh at that, kind of look at it, at least I do. And, but he went, this is the amazing part. They're hanging in there, even though they didn't understand. And this is what we should do as well. This is the toughest week they will ever go through in their life. They just don't understand it yet. Their understanding comes later. And this bugs me about God. Does it bug you at all? This is what bugs me about God. Have you ever said, Lord, I could get through this if you explained it to me? Just explain it to me, and I'll do whatever you want. Have you ever felt like that with your parent? Your parent says no or whatever, and you're just like you're, you're dumbfounded, and you're thinking, can you just explain it to me? <coughs> I mean, I'm a logical guy. Just give it to me. And then he gives it to me, and I go, okay, we can do this. But that's not how the Lord does it. John 12, 16 is a great verse to memorize. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Now, some of you may go, why is that a great verse? Because it helps me to remember, I will not always understand. But in God's timing, I will. So when I read this, God doesn't bug me so much. Maybe, am I the only one that God ever bugs? Maybe you ought to talk to him a little bit more. I don't know. See, all the, all the stuff the Lord has taken me, uh, taken me through has borne fruit. And so you have to ask a question. Do you want to bear fruit for the Lord? Now, are you sure you want to bear fruit for the Lord? Because sometimes he takes you down a path that you don't want to go down, a path that you won't understand for years maybe. Uh, you know, oh, Lord, bear fruit in my life. You know, that is a good prayer. I don't want to discourage anyone from praying that, but I just want reality to be there also. Maybe right now you, you're understanding the last few years of what you've gone through and you finally went through it and you're finally like, okay, okay, I understand this a little better now, Lord. No wonder why I went through this. Oh, this is what fertilizer smells like as you plant me, Lord. Yeah. Maybe what you've been going through is starting to look like, like it'll bear some fruit. See, it's, it's good to understand and know what the Lord is doing in our lives. It's good for us to understand that I will not always understand. So remember, just like the disciples, Jesus rarely stops in the middle of something to explain it to us. 
And it's not that he's just not being loving. Do you explain everything to a two-year-old in minute detail? Why not? They're two. They're just not going to get it. We need to start thinking of ourselves as two-year-olds sometimes. We think we're so mature. Oh, I'm so mature. And the Lord's like, okay, let me explain this to you. And you're like, huh? Just like a two-year-old, right? I mean, some parents try. It's funny to watch. The mom is like, we're just doing this. And the kid's like, wah! You know, I mean, just, and you start to understand. You can't explain it all. Sometimes a two-year-old just has to obey mom and dad, right? And that's okay. We have to be parents. There are times when I've grabbed my child and said, get over there and stand. Because they don't understand running out in the parking lot could kill them, right? You don't go, oh, let me take you out into the middle. Okay, see the car coming at us? You don't do that. That'd be dumb, okay? But difference between you and God is God is the perfect parent. And as, you know, as humans, we make mistakes. And praise the Lord that he has two things. And I know what most of you are thinking. The Lord has grace and mercy, right? Praise the Lord he has that. And I agree, agree with that. But I'm also thinking the Lord has grace and a sense of humor. And praise the Lord he has that. Because he wouldn't be able to deal with me if he didn't, right? Well, in verse 20, John tells us that the, some Greeks that came... And it says, now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was uh, from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. <coughs> Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn, in turn told Jesus. Now, to understand the Greeks, you have to understand the way that they were raised. The Greeks were raised to believe in all these different gods. In fact, I was watching a show the other day. I like archaeological shows and stuff. And I was walking, watching an archaeological show. and It was about India. And they were talking about all these different gods. And Grayson goes, we don't believe in those gods. I'm like, no, there is no God but one God. And that is God of heaven. Okay? And we talked about that. But the Greeks, they were raised to believe in all these different gods. <coughs> so these guys, you know, uh, these guys were tired of that, and they looked toward Jesus. They were kind of tired because their gods looked so much like them. And here Jesus looked totally different. So they talked with the only disciple that had a Greek name, Philip. And they tried to set an appointment with Jesus, but Jesus is so focused, we don't even know if they met with him or not. But he did respond. It says in verse 23, Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a seed. <coughs> but if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor those who serve me. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It is for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven uh, came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. 
the crowd was there and heard it. It said, it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, the voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment of this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show them, show the kind of <coughs> death he was going to die. So you're going to see Jesus here start talking more and more about the cross. We're two days from the crucifixion. And, and, you know, maybe even the day before, we're not really sure. But in verse 24, it says, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it only remains a seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Jesus was talking about his death here. I'm going to die. It is part of the plan. I cannot back out of it now. Because if he doesn't die, what will be accomplished? Well, I came and lived for 33 years and showed you that I could live a perfect life, right? But he does die, and that's the point. And for what? Because we're imperfect. We do sin. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that about your own life? You have sin. I have sin. And when we ask for forgiveness, we receive it. That's a, that's a beautiful thing. And one of the greatest things is that we don't hold on to it. In fact, our work is not done in vain. We may not see the results now. We may see the results in 10 years, 20 years, or when we get to heaven. We don't know, but we may not see him here. Even though we have sin, we still serve the one that we love. And that service will be honored by him. So when the times, you know, there are going to be times when you feel, is it really worth it? Am I really making a difference in this job with my family? Are my prayers making a difference? Yes, they do. They do. And you'll be rewarded for them later. Don't look for the reward now. When you feel that way, read John 12, 26 again. My father will honor the one who serves me. He will honor us for our work. It is not in vain. Now, another concept that Jesus is sharing with them is one that they would instantly get. You see one seed, you either eat it or you plant it. If you plant it, it will die, but the amount of stuff it produces will be enormous, right? Right now, we have some tomato plants out back, okay? We planted them a little late, but they're still producing. Grayson is all excited. In fact, he planted, I mean, he pulled out a green uh, tomato the other day. He was so excited. So he learned, oh, you just don't grab it. You know, you don't just grab it off. But he's seeing how that it produces it and so, so forth. So, you know, it's amazing how much one plant can produce. And he's talking to us about us. Verse 25, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Jesus is also talking about our own death. If you want to bear fruit, and we go, Lord, I don't want my life to be just about me. I've seen the emptiness of making money. Yeah, we all want money, right? We all want more money, right? And no matter where you are in life, <clears throat> you always want more money, right? You know, with the, uh, oh, mega millions, is that what it was? You know, it was up to one point whatever billion dollars. 
You know, I mean, it's hard for us to even fathom that. But I read an article about all the people who, who made money and then lost the money because they couldn't handle it. But we all want more, right? Yeah, we do. I've seen that emptiness. Or seeking, you know, pleasure. I've seen marriages that don't meet the, the needs of each other. No matter how much we accomplish in this life, there's an emptiness that we either try to fill it with things or we can fill it with Christ, one of the two. And come to find out, only he really feels that satisfaction. See, I want my life to bear fruit. I want my life to count. We all feel this way. The legacy you leave is not about buildings or inventions, but at our funeral one day, others will stand up and say, I would not be serving God if it wasn't for this person. Or I'm a better person because of this person, because of what they did and they served Jesus. Or one day they'll walk up to you in heaven and say, thank you, I'm the fruit of your life. And you'll be like, who are you? I don't even know you, I've never met you. And they're like, yeah, that's okay. What you did for God affected my life. And that's the great thing. That's the goal that we should all have, that our lives bear fruit. And not just any kind of fruit, but the right kind of fruit. And this is what we're talking about. So if there's a passion in your life, then guess what? You have to, you know, you have to die. What, Lord? I have to do what? I mean, I was just going to stop cussing or I was just going to stop lying. I thought this was what it was about, right? Just getting my act together. I was just going to clean up things, Right? And the Lord is like, is that what you really thought? It goes far beyond the self-help type of thing. This, this is about our will. This is about our passion. Who is, the throne, who is on the throne of your life? Who is in charge of your life? Because I know some really smart people that got it all together that are idiots, right? And I know some idiots that are really smart because of what the Lord's done in their life, Okay. And, we, and I'm not trying to judge, but I'm just saying that you can be as smart as can be and confused about life as can be. It's about who is on the throne of our life, who is in charge of our life. That has got to die. If it's us, it has got to die. And then people are like, oh, wait a minute. Hold on. Is there another, another God back there that I can go and talk to? Because I want easier God. I want, I want one that lets me set the rules. You want me to die? You want me to sacrifice? He says, if you love your life, you will lose it. If you hate your life, you will gain it for eternal life. Now that completely sounds backwards, doesn't it? Let's switch that up, right? I mean, there's a lot of things in life that I love, right? I mean, wintertime, the snow, it's just beautiful. You go up there in the mountains and you take some wonderful, you know, great pictures springtime the flowers are blooming and the weather's great we won't talk about summer in Tulare now Hawaii time I love Hawaii time anytime you know I mean the fish are unbelievable I love taking pictures of them and now the Lord is saying that because I love that stuff I'm supposed to hate it in order to gain eternal life and the Lord is like no 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 you're missing the point. It's so much deeper than that. In fact, as a matter of fact, I want to give you abundant life now starting here on this earth. But before I do, you've got to die. And we go, how? Well, he's already conquered death by dying. The way you do it is by killing the idols in your life. 
and putting him in control of your life. Lord, how do I guard myself from the enemies of my life? We think he's there just to take away our anger issues or whatever issues we might have or the one thing that I'm trying to avoid, you know. But it goes so much deeper than that. The Apostle Paul teaches us about the old person in him completely dying so the new person could be brought into this life. There was an old guy called Paul. Well, actually, the old guy was Saul that died. The know-it-all, Bible-thumping guy who had to die. And the new guy was what? About God's grace because he understood what God was giving him. He's reaching out to God. And our salvation needs to be that drastic. And it's really a never-ending process. We, th- we wish it would just be like the flip of a switch and then things would work, right? This morning, our sound system wasn't working. We were trying to figure it out. And then I came back over here and I went, oh, click. I flipped a switch and it just started working. Somebody turned off the wrong switch. No big deal. We figured it out, right? We wish our lives were like that when it came to God. It would just be a flip of a switch. But it's a never-ending process. We should never get to a point as a Christian where we say, okay, the old is completely dead, and I don't need to change anything now. Because when we do, it becomes about us again. And this is interesting is the fact that the Lord gives us a choice. If you want to move on in the relationship with me, then you have to choose to let that thing die in your life, the thing that's blocking the relationship with him. But Lord, not that part of me. Other people have that and they still bear fruit. Why don't you get rid of that in them and then come back to me? It's like the Lord is is not going to replace it with something better. But Lord, they get away with that sin. So therefore, you know, if you ever get that uh, from children or, or kids in class and stuff, Well, they, we always like to point out the other person, right? Trying to deflect it off of us. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, Alan. I thought you wanted to bear fruit. I'll let you wander around another couple of years. And when I get back to it, I'll see if you're ready then. And then the Lord comes back. Maybe then you will follow, you know, follow me through death. But when we go through stuff, we think, No way the Lord is allowing this to happen. You see, we have trouble believing that God brings discomfort in our life. We have trouble believing that God allows painful things to happen in our life. Anytime we go through something painful, we blame it on who? Satan? No Saturday Night Live fans in here at all from the old days. Okay. It's always Satan's fault, right? We can't possibly believe that God is allowing something, that God has anything to do with it. And you know what? Usually, God doesn't cause it. Usually, it's our own stupidity. We can blame it on Satan all we want, but a lot of times, it's our own stupidity. But he's working it all together for good for those that love him, especially when we repent and come back to him, for those who are called according to his good purpose, right? The scriptures say, and we know that all things work together for good. We know it. It says there, we know. This is not a hope. Oh, I hope this is going to work out. No, it's not a hope. 
It's not an 80% of the time. It is not we know that several things that are good in our lives. No, all things. You mean this thing I'm going through? Yeah, the thing you're going through. Stop acting like that thing can't be used by God. See, the, the, the thing you think that, you should, that should be removed from your life so you can start serving the Lord, maybe the Lord wants to, to use that to glorify him. That's our mentality. That's how, what we should be thinking about. So this thing that you're going through is part of the depth of yourself that God is calling you to go through, that God is calling you to walk through to get you to abundant life. See, the, the disciples had to go through the weekend of crucifixion to get to what? The promise. The promise of what was to come. And all their dreams, all their desires, it all died with Christ. I mean, it took like Peter 30 minutes to go back to fishing. Okay, it really wasn't. But you know what I'm saying? I mean, it was just like he was lost. His old fears, his, all his denials. As soon as Jesus was in chains, Peter was lost. Now, later on, the Holy Spirit would fill Peter, and he didn't, you know, he didn't need Jesus physically there, but he was there in spirit as he promised. The Holy Spirit was left in him, and that's the same spirit that comes into us when we accept Jesus. We get these wake-up calls, don't we? We think we're such mature Christians. Oh, man. And we're just serving the Lord, and it's just beautiful. And then the rug just gets yanked out from under us. And then come to find out we're close to giving up. Have you ever been there? Had things planned out in your life and how life was going to go? And, you know, and then all of a sudden things completely 100% change? It's happened twice in my life where I thought I was, this is what I've been working for. This is what I've been going toward. And all of a sudden everything just gets ripped out and you're just like, what? But we follow the Lord. I guess it happened to me twice because I didn't learn enough the first time. I don't know. Bob call, uh, God calls us to bury the past and to move forward. And we will not move forward in our relationship with him until we realize that it's deeper than giving up alcohol or deeper than giving up whatever sin or something else. It goes to the core of who we are. Those other things are just symptoms right? And we have to give things over to him completely. You could quit all the negative habits in your life and still not die to self. You would improve your life, but you still wouldn't move forward in the relationship with him because you have died. It's you, or you haven't died. It's still your will. I mean, how many of you would say it you know, Lord, at the end of my life, I want to look back and I want to see fruit. Yeah, we would all say that, wouldn't we? If we're followers of God. Well, let me tell you, there are things that you will have to die. Things that will have to die in your life for that to happen. Ouch. God takes us through this process and we have to be willing to go through it. We have to be willing to bury things like anger or bitterness or rage 
And even when it, comes, it keeps coming back up, we have to be willing to say, Lord, I want you to bury it. I want you to bury it today. And the Lord says, well, actually, let me bury it. You, you, you stay out of the process. No, Lord, I'll just take care of it. I need to respond, you know, uh, before you bury it. I want to keep at least, uh, you know, this at least a couple of weeks because they've really angered me. Let me respond. And he's like, no, 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 no. I need to take that. But Lord, I want to make them miserable. Then I can give it to you and say, I'm sorry. The Lord says, okay, great. Hold on to that razor blade, but you're going to hurt yourself. Or you could take it and bury it so you can forget about it. Now, have you ever taken something and buried it and forgot about it? You know, like a kid at the beach. Okay, maybe not. Or how about a, a sprinkler system? I'll never forget where that line is. Then you're roller tilling and I'll say, wham! Water starts going everywhere and you're just like, oh, that was right there, wasn't it? What happened? You buried it and you forgot about it. This is what God is talking about. He wants us to bury some things, give some things to him to bury, and then forget about it. Not even mark where it is, the anger, the rage, or bitterness, or pornography, or whatever it is. If we mark where we bury these things, we're just storing it for later. We want to store our treasures in heaven. So we need not to remember where this old stuff is. We have to let go. How silly would it look for you if you buried something and didn't let it go? I mean, your arm's just down in the dirt, right? Hanging on to it. You're like, I buried it. How foolish of us. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So personal question for you. What would have, or what would have to die in your life? in order for God to take you to a level of intimacy with him and your relationship with him. You have to decide, would I rather hang on to that thing or go further with Jesus? That's the decision you have to make and a decision that will determine whether you live an abundant life with Jesus or you live a miserable Christian life and just make it to heaven. I don't want us just to make it to heaven. God calls us to be a people that have nothing in our hands so we can truly worship him and truly follow him. The other things that I see here is that you must be willing to be planted in order to bear fruit. Could you imagine the tree that just kept deciding to move around? I think I'll go over to that side of the patio now. A couple of years later, I think I'd rather go to that part of the, the house. Or how about, I'd rather go to that house or that house or move over there. I mean, how many uprootings of a tree would it take before the tree died? Hmm. You don't keep, keep digging up a tree to see if it's growing or not, right? See, the thing is, the Lord plants us in places. And when we try, you know, when we try, we just create a mess, right? But when he does it, it's for a reason. I mean, if I were to plant myself, there are many great and wonderful opportunities on the big island of Hawaii. That's where I would plant myself, right? Where would your place be? But the Lord keeps saying, no, 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 no. I planted you in Tulare. 
That's your soil layer. You can go visit, but I planted you. See, the Lord is a gardener. He does the planting. And when we allow him to, then we're blessed beyond measure. We are blessed. When we start the planting, we start to sound like the world. So the question is, where does the Lord want you? Jesus just says, don't get too attached to this life. He even says, you must hate this life. And I don't quite completely get that. I mean, I love Hawaii. It's cool. It's got fish. I mean, why would you hate that? But in comparison to heaven and what he has prepared for us, this is child's play. We need to not love it too much. Because if we focus on ourselves and our lives here, then we totally wreck our lives. Don't focus too much on the here and now. Keep your head up and look toward the kingdom. Look toward the goal, right? Let's do a couple more verses and we'll be done. The crowd spoke up. We've heard from the law that, uh, law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Jesus tells us this verse to show us that there was still confusion about who Jesus was. I mean, we're talking about a few days before the cross. You would think people would be getting it by now. They're looking for the Messiah to come in and take over by force. And he's talking about a Messiah who's going to a cross and die. Later on, they'll go back through the scriptures and read them, and they'll be like, oh, it says it right here in Ezekiel. Oh, it says it right here in Isaiah. And they'll start to understand that the scriptures have been talking about this all the way through. But they wanted him, you know, a warrior messiah. Messiah, You know, how do you conquer death? I mean, raise your buddy from the dead. Well, he already did that. But what about his own death? The only way to prove that is to go through it, and this is what Jesus does. So they're asking about the Son of Man, and, and you know, in, in verse 37, and I, I think we'll stop with that uh, uh, right there. Verse, do I have it up there, 37? Even after Jesus has performed many signs in the presence, they still would not believe in him. You would think that with all the signs that were provided... I mean, what signs have we seen through the, the, the book of John that they would have been experiencing? Water and the wine? Bread and fishes for 5,000 uh, um, you know, families? I mean, he walked on water. He spoke to the storm and it stopped. He healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He cast demons out. He showed his authority over nature, over sickness, over demonic forces. And then he raised his friend from the dead. With all these signs, they still didn't believe. And even with all these warning signs, and they are great if you read them. Because if you don't, they're no use to you, right? You're driving along, you see the sign. You're going you're gonna to tear up your car if you go on that road, right? The lava's covered it, right? You go in the water, you may get bit. It's a warning sign, right? They put up this sign after I'd been out there all day. I don't know, were they thinking I was, okay, anyway. I mean, here's another sign. Talking about how lava is extremely hot. 
extreme danger. How it can fall out from under your feet if you get out too close to the water. Or how about this sign? Okay, if you can read it, it talks about uh, there's a cliff there. that There's a 400-foot uh, drop right there, and there's a, uh, you go down, and you get down to a gray sand beach. It has a whole bunch of switchbacks to go down there. I used to hike it when I was skinnier. Um, you know, but there's signs. Or how about this sign? Danger, mines. Don't step over that fence. These are all over Israel because during the wars, they would put mines in different fields and they've cleared some of them, but not all of them. Danger. How many signs do we need in our life that are laid out by God and do we ignore them? Hmm. You know, I'm amazed at different people that I've experienced over the years in different ministries where God has given them a sign and they've ignored the sign. Then God does what? Gives them a bigger sign and they ignore the sign. Then God does what? He gives them another sign and they ignore that sign and they wonder why their life is a complete disaster. You're like, because you're not following God. But if you say that to them, they freak out. So you've got to allow God to do it. You just got to pray for them. You got to support them. You got to do everything you can. But I mean, we all know of people like that, right? Where we just kind of scratch our head and go, oh, if you could just, if you could just. And God calls us to come along beside them and help them out as much as we can. But at the same time, they have to read the sign, right? They have to read it. Well, the sign for me is my time is up. So... Why don't we pray as the worship team comes and finishes us up for the day. Lord, there's so many times in our lives when you have a big sign in front of us that you want us to take this exit or go this direction and we ignore it, Lord. I pray that you don't give up on us. And we know that you won't give up on us. But Lord, I pray that you help us understand those signs and see those signs from you that we not be like the disciples that, that you directly told what was going to happen and they just didn't understand it. I pray, Lord, that you give us understanding. But also, Lord, I pray that when we don't understand, that we have the power through the Holy Spirit to keep moving forward with you. That we may not understand everything that happens in this world, but that we trust you, that you're all-knowing, that you're all-encompassing, that you are ultimately in control of everything and that we can, can sit there in that and we're going to be okay. We thank you for that understanding, Lord. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you and may he bless you this week. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.